Welcome to Langstaff Online. My name is Michael Da Silva, and I am your host for episode 12. In this episode, we are going to be hearing from Brian Joyce on part two of his message entitled, The Sovereign Servant, which is taken from John chapter 13. We trust you will enjoy the conclusion of this message. This is the second podcast in my series on the Lord's teaching in the upper room. It is good to be opening God's Word to you all again. Thanks for listening in. Today I will finish John 13 with the final three lessons of the seven. The title over this chapter is The Sovereign Servant. And I have been giving a few lessons on the value of servanthood as we consider the Lord Jesus in action. Allow me to review my first points. Lesson one, like the servant, your life has a divine plan. Lesson two, like the servant, your heart should have a pure motive. Lesson three, like the servant, you need to face the enemy's resistance with vigilance. Lesson four, like the servant, you need to surrender to the paradox of the Christian faith. Let's read together from John 13, and we're going to read uh, from verses 4 down to verse 17. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he washed their feet and put on uh, his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The lesson I draw from this section is very important. It goes like this. Like the servant, your service work involves a perpetual cleansing. Like the servant, your service work involves a perpetual cleansing. This is one of the most mind-blowing stories in all of Scripture. The sovereign of the universe, the eternal God, the majestic King, the creator and sustainer of all things is stooping to wash the twelve stinky pairs of feet of His disciples 
one of them being a traitor. This task of feet cleaning was reserved for the lowest household servant, and according to some sources, relegated to a Gentile slave and not even a Jew. This was a borrowed room, so there was no assigned servant present. Sadly, none of the disciples came forward to take up this challenge. The true servant steps forward. Everything was going marvelously well until Jesus gets to Peter, and in verse 8, probably with all good intention, he states the absurdity, the absolute wrongness of what Jesus was doing. He says, you will never wash my feet. I have a label for Peter. It's called Pendulum Peter, swinging from one extreme to the other. After the Lord explains in verse 9, he, Peter wants a, a full bath. There's a little lesson for us here. Seek to be a balanced believer. It is from the two different words for wash in verse 10 that the meaning of it all makes sense. What was the Lord saying to Peter? In the first, he stated, the one who is washed means one who is fully or completely washed only needs to have his feet washed, that is, partially washed. It's the difference between telling a child to get a bath as opposed to washing their hands before supper. Jesus is saying, you only need cleansing from sin once. That happened the day you got saved, but you need to be kept clean on a continual basis. He was emphasizing the importance of daily cleansing. We, like them, have been washed or bathed, cleansed by the blood, but we need perpetual cleansing. The meaning of Jesus' words in verse 8 is this, No washing, no closeness with Christ. No washing, no companionship. No washing, no sense of His presence with you. If you're not clean, there is no way you can fellowship with me. It's what Jesus is saying. Fellowship with God can only be maintained with continued washing. We spiritualize this chapter to death, but when it's all said and done, this is an outrageous act of kindness towards undeserving recipients. Are we people of the towel? How many feet? have you washed lately? How many acts of outrageous kindness have you done in this last week? We all like to be sitting with our feet in the basin, but it is more important to be on our knees doing the washing. The culture in Jesus' day, like ours, was built on the premise of power. The more powerful, wealthy, talented, the less expectation was on you to lower yourself to help other people. Conversely, the less amount of power, wealth, and talent you had, the more you were expected to serve those who were blessed with more. Jesus wasn't into this kind of power trip. His kingdom is the great reversal, total counter-culture. As we consider the needs of the church and our community, we need to be asking ourselves, what can I do to help? How can I get my hands dirty to help someone else? The quality being highlighted here is that of humility. Luke 22 gives us the backdrop 
to why the Lord Jesus did this. For they were arguing as to who would be the greatest. There is no nice way to say it. Pride stinks. And this was a stinky room until the servant stepped into it. Someone said, The problem is that the proud person is the only one who doesn't smell it. You can be too big for God to use. You cannot be too small. Philippians 2 tells us to count others more important than yourself. No one should try attaining to self-entitlement. Jesus let go of any entitlement when he left heaven and stooped down to our low estate. It was all handed over to his Father. We all like to be recognized and maintain our rights, but there is a great practical blessing in simply serving others. As far as I know, there were none excluded from this washing, not even the stinkiest feet. What a lesson for us. We are never more like Christ than when we are serving others. Verse 16 says, The servant is not greater than his master. Doesn't it want, uh, make you want to run and, and get a basin and towel right now? This is the outworking of 1 Corinthians 13.5. True love serves others. And Galatians 5.13, By love serve one another. If I understand verse 15 properly, then we are each responsible for each other's cleansing and well-being. Me for you, and you for me. This is looking out for one another. Like Galatians 6, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The lesson is clear. Like the servant, your service work involves perpetual cleansing. The sixth lesson comes out of verses 18 to 21, and it goes like this. Like the servant, you must allow the word of God to confirm your faith. Let's read the scripture. Verse 18. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. It is the Apostle John who tells us that the Lord Jesus is the Word, the Word of God. He is the full expression of the Father and visibly reveals all that God is. Yet in a mysterious way, He is also the dependent servant who looked to His God all through His earthly sojourn. In John 5, Jesus spoke beautiful words saying, The Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. The Father's attention was on His Son, 
and the son's attention was towards the father. In the servant song of Isaiah 50, the prophet says of him, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakens morning by morning. He wakens mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. In our John 15 passage, he quoted the Old Testament scripture as it related to Judas. I believe there is a sense in which he derives strength from knowing and quoting the scripture. It had a settling and confirming effect upon him and enabled him to move forward in confidence upon his God. In the same way, we need to allow the scripture to confirm our confidence in God. Whose voice are you listening to in these stressful times? You are being bombarded with information from the media, many of them creating fear. The experts and the non-experts are telling us everything they know about the coronavirus. One piece of advice, don't listen to the news all day long. It, it will wear you down. You've heard of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. This situation is like PTSD, present traumatic stress disorder. Everyone and his dog has a story or a twist as to what we should do or not do. Some voices you listen to, others you just discard. We all have the self-voice as well. It's a voice that is constantly speaking into your life, a voice that can be both positive and negative. If your self-voice is anything like mine, there's a lot of negative words being spoken. Sometimes the voice says, you're not good enough. You can't do that. You are doing that for the wrong motive. You're stupid. Believe me, my self-voice can be brutal at times. The question we all need to be asking ourselves is this. Whose voice are you listening to? Jesus was dialed in to the voice of his Father. What about you? It is his voice of truth, truth that will sustain you in these times of loneliness. It is His promises that will hold you up when you are discouraged. It is His voice of affirmation that will enable you to fight the negative false voices of others or yourself. We need to continually bring His word, His voice, alongside every other voice, and if they don't agree, make sure you listen to the voice of God and make sure His voice is the loudest voice in your experience. The lesson is clear. Like the servant, you must allow the word of God to confirm your faith. The seventh and last lesson comes from the end of the chapter, from verses 31 to 38. The lesson is this. Like the servant, your love to others must be real and sacrificial. Like the servant, your love to others must be real and sacrificial. Let's read from verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, 
yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me just as I said to the Jews, so now I say it to you, where I am going you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. What is the greatest command found in Scripture? What is the most emphasized command in the New Testament? It's not a trick question. Paul reminds every church about it. Peter talks about it. John highlights it. And Jesus repeated it, namely this, love one another. Here in verse 34, it is called a new commandment. It is not new in the sense that it was never commanded before and and that it was a new idea. God was always love. He is love and always will be love. It is not new in the sense of timing. I wonder if it was new or fresh in the sense of quality. Notice the language. As I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. A new standard to uphold. This was not under the banner of the old covenant, but rather under the new covenant. We are under a new authority. The pattern is new. Live out the love of Jesus. The power is new. Live on the love of Jesus. Being so related to Jesus that he becomes the power to love. This is chapter 15, verse 12. Abide in my love as I abide in my Father's love. The key to my Jesus loving you is abiding in my Father's love, resting in His love, doing what the Father loves, and being fully loved by my Father, abiding in His love. Verse 35 says, By this shall all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Hendrik Hein, German philosopher, said, Show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe your Redeemer. One of my favorite stories reverts back before the turn of the 20th century. There was an uh, asylum in the city of Boston which housed severely mentally challenged individuals. One of the patients was simply called Little Annie. She was totally unresponsive, and after much trying, she was confined to a cell in the basement and given up as hopeless. A Christian woman worked at the facility and believed that each person was valued by God and needed love and care. So she decided to spend her lunch hours in front of Little Annie's room, reading to her and praying. This went on for months. 
She tried to talk to her and, and bring her food, but she would never receive it. Then one day a brownie was missing from the plate, and eventually the little girl began to answer through the cell bars. Within two years, and after a lot of treatment, little Annie was told that she could leave the asylum and enjoy a normal life. She chose not to. She was so appreciative of the love she received, she decided to dedicate her life to the same. Nearly half a century after, the Queen of England held a special ceremony in honor of one of America's most inspiring women, Helen Keller. When asked to what she would attribute her success at overcoming the dual handicap of blindness and deafness, Helen Keller replied, If it had not been for Anne Sullivan, I would not be here today. Anne Sullivan? who tenaciously loved and believed in an incorrigible blind and deaf girl named Helen Keller, was, in fact, that little Annie. Because of one selfless Christian woman in the dungeon of an insane asylum believed that a hopeless little girl needed God's love, the world received the marvelous gift of Helen Keller. Never underestimate or minimize the effect of even the smallest act of love. I leave you with the lesson. Like the servant, your love must be real and sacrificial. This is to love like Jesus. The last two verses deal with Peter's denial, which was really sad. But thankfully, the Lord brought him through. As we conclude the seven lessons of this chapter, remember, you are not perfect, and also, you are not alone. Thanks for listening. The Lord is your strength and refuge.